this thing on? It is. Fantastic. I wrote my notes in the card so I wouldn't forget who I was. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, we're asked to share our testimonies. I'm like, I need to write this down. It's my own story. Why should I write this down? But I know me. The second I get up here, I'm going to go blank and forget what I'm talking about. So I wrote it down. So I apologize in advance for any rambling or misspoken words. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Um, other versions will say, Many are the plans in a human heart, because know that women have hearts too, despite what some people may think. The Lord's purpose prevails. You may think of a, yeah, even think of a past teacher or something, you're like, I don't know if she had a heart. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. There's an, old, uh, there's an old joke that says, you know, how do you make God laugh? And the way to God make, make God laugh is to tell him your plans. Because we're like, I'm going to do this and this and this. And God's like, <laughs> that's funny. No, you're not. And it's a sure good thing that God knows what he's doing, because I sure don't. Um, you know, we make plans. And, you know, everyone, anyone ever have a plan fall through? Maybe you're planning a party or an event or just like, you know, life in general. Yeah, we're going to do this thing outside. It's going to be great. And then, oh, no, it's, you know, acid rain. I guess we can't do it. Um, and things like that happen, and that's, that's okay. That's uh, kind of the story of my, of my life here <laughs> while I'm going through this. Uh, it all kind of started when I was born. I was, uh, I was a fat baby. I was a 10-pound, 9-ounce baby when I was born. And the doctors all made fun of me. They called me moose, which I think now would be considered like fat shaming or something. I could probably sue them. But um, they're like, this kid's going to grow up. He's going to play for the Buffalo Bills. You know, he's so well-built. And I'm a skinny nerd that works at a computer all day. So they were a little wrong about that. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a, a Christian home. Uh, both my parents loved the Lord. I was raised going to church. I went to Christian schools uh, basically through high school. I uh, went to Sunday school every Sunday, church on Wednesdays, just the whole thing. And um, I had a good working knowledge of who Christ was, what the Bible was. Um, but it was all kind of head knowledge at that point. I knew that it was the right thing to do. Um, I knew why it was the right thing to do, but did I fully believe it here? You know, not so much at the time. Um, I mean, I was saved at a really young age. I was about, you know, I think four or five years old, and I was like, yes, I, I accept Christ as my Savior. Um, did I really realize what it fully meant to follow Christ at that time? No, it wasn't real to me, but I knew this is, this is what I was taught. This is the right thing to do. Um, you know, flash forward into, you know, middle and high school, it started to make a bit more sense to me, like, okay, you know, following Jesus isn't just knowing all the right answers. It's actually, you know, a change of life, you know, making yourself look different from everybody else um, and following what the Bible says. But again, it was still kind of, kind of head knowledge. I didn't really feel, you know, God's presence in my life at that time. Um, but like I said, slowly, middle school, high school, it started to make a bit more sense. Uh, I was baptized in high school. Uh, my old church, again, I'd like, it's the right thing to do. I need to take this next step in my faith to show other people that I believe in Christ. Um, you know, at that point, you know, towards the junior, senior year of high school, it's like, well, I need to make a choice of what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I loved art. I was an avid uh, cartoonist and illustrator at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to school for art. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so I threw a few applications out and uh, got accepted at UB for their fine arts program. Uh, but in order to actually be fully accepted there, you have to pass what's called a portfolio review, which is where you go in a room with two or three art critics, basically. You put all your work out and you explain it. And they say, yep, you're good. We want you in. Or, no, you're terrible. What are you doing? So 
I, I put all my best work up there. I had it all laid out, and like, here we go. I mean, all my grades in my classes have been like A's and you know high B's at that point. So I'm like, ah, this is this is no problem. So I'm talking to them about my artwork and everything, and they're like, um, so what do you, what do you want to do with this? I'm like, well, I, I want to be like an illustrator, maybe work with like children's books, or you know, do comic strips and stuff like that. And they looked at me and they they said, you have no purpose here in this art department. Huh. I'm not sure if you ever had someone tell you have no purpose, but it kind of makes you take take a step back. Um, like I have no purpose. Like I thought I thought I had a purpose. This is what my you know wanted to do. Um, so I left there kind of a little like in shock and kind of disheartened. Like, well, this is what I had planned on doing for my life, and I realized at that point, you know, I, I never asked God <laughs> what what I should do. I just kind of went for this this fine arts thing. Um, so then I I sat down, I prayed, I got counsel from, you know, my parents and this other, um, just people I looked up to for their faith at the time, and I switched to being a psychology major, um, so then I could figure out why all the art people were so crazy, um, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> um, so I switched to psychology, I really got into it, I liked it a lot, um, it's stuff I just never, you know, knew about or really researched before, um, my faith at the time in college, I mean, so I went, I told you earlier, I went to private schools basically from kindergarten to 12th grade, and then I went to a huge public school, um, you know, after that, going from a graduating class in high school of 21 to a graduating class, UB of like 15,000 or something like that. Um, so my faith was still kind of like, yeah, I know the right things to do, but, you know, am I really living it out? Am I really believing it? Mm, not sure. Uh, it wasn't until I got involved with uh, InterVarsity, which is a Christian group on campus, that I really began to, uh, you know, realize what it means to follow God and started getting a lot of support and just community from the people there and um, just really experiencing God's presence, I think, truly for the first time at that time. Um, you know, and at that time, I was like, hey, I got this psychology degree going, so what do I do with it? And I found that at the time, uh, you know, I was you know, always talking to people about, or they were talking to me, rather, about what kind of issues and problems they have going on in their lives. And I'm like, you know what, God, maybe I should get into counseling. Um, you know, I think that's somewhere that you're leading me. And I prayed about it, and that's, I kind of got confirmation in a sense that that's where he wanted me to go. So I did. I got my bachelor's in psychology, my master's in counseling, and I worked as a substance abuse counselor for a year and a half. I was a mental health counselor. Um, about this time, I got married also. Uh, to someone I didn't plan on getting married to. Uh, it's funny because I met my wife when I was in sixth grade, but we didn't actually start you know, dating or anything until, until after college. And I figured I'd meet someone in college and kind of go from there, but God has other plans, and they're for the best. Um, so my, when my wife and I were pregnant, uh, she had tons of just every issue you can think of with the pregnancy. I mean, I think we went in the hospital with it to the ER about like, I think eight times uh, throughout the pregnancy. And, um, but by the grace of God, uh, my son was born healthy and everything was great. Um, but as a result, my wife was kind of out of commission uh, for several months after that, just from uh, all the uh, just problems and complications from the pregnancy. And I was working as a mental health counselor at the time, which doesn't pay a whole lot. And, um, but the good news is, and God was working here too, I didn't have a lot of scheduled hours to work for it, so I was able to be home and, uh, you know, take care of my wife and son and our, our new family um, 
during that time. So again, God worked through that. But I mean, she was out of work. I needed a job. Um, and I was able to find a new job writing obituaries, which people are like, that's kind of creepy. But uh, I didn't know I didn't know anyone that I was writing a bitch for it. So, you know, it's okay. Um, <laughs> they're actually for newspapers out in like Oregon and uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. So I was able to get that. God provided for that. Uh, he kept providing job after job uh, for me that as we needed it. Every job had the right balance of, you know, schedules and benefits and things like that that uh, God always provided and, and took care of us. Um, so then flash forward to uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I found out that uh, she was diagnosed with stage three or four ovarian cancer, um, something we definitely didn't, didn't plan on. Uh, but God knew. <laughs> God, God always knew. And it uh, wasn't a surprise to him. And... Um, you know, you, you think about something like that, and you're like, how am I possibly going to get through this? And throughout this whole time, God's just been telling me that I'm giving you everything you need. You don't need to worry about it. You know, Matthew chapter 6 says, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, today's got enough stuff going on. Um, and God, God's been there through this whole thing, you know, every step of the way. Uh, whether it's through people making meals for us or just people offering to help us out in any particular way. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly at a loss of words for just how crazy God's been blessing us through this in spite of this, you know, this terrible thing. And I'm confident that God will carry us through. You know, for me, it's not so much where I'm going, but who's leading me there. You know, we, we can't come to God and say, God, I've got, I got this plan, this plan, this plan. I'm going to do all this. All right, and I want you to come along with me. He's like, no, I'm going this way. I need you with me. And that's, that's made all the difference in my life. Um, so one, one kind of phrase I, I came across a few years ago that's really been uh, ringing through to me here is an old, old kind of sentence. It says, we cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, but all is well that's done by thee. You know, sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives to test us, to, to grow us, to bend us. And throughout it all, we just need to make sure that we're, we're seeking him first and everything else will fall into place. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. And uh, next, uh, we're going to have David come up and share his testimony with us. Even more than Jesse, I, I actually wrote mine down. So, <laughs> uh, I'm David, and uh, my amazing wife Flora is back there in the corner. We we moved um, here to North Tonawanda from Massachusetts uh, in 2021. We've been at I hope uh, probably just under a year. Uh, it's really been a blessing. So thank you all. Um, I thought I'd tell you about a time about 10 years ago. Uh, that caused me to really wrestle with my faith and has shaped my walk uh, since then. So it was the summer of 2012, and I was on sabbatical from teaching. I, I was a professor at a small college in Massachusetts. And um, I decided to move the family out to the West Coast so I could work for this little startup company for the year. And uh, 
it was in Pasadena. Uh, well, in 2012, early in the year, my mom had a, um, her first bout with pneumonia uh, was in February of that year, and she'd gotten very sick, and um, she spent just over two months in Buffalo General. Uh, and then her second bout, she had a relapse, uh, started in June, uh, and by late August, she was still in the hospital. Uh, but I, I had to get the family moved out and settled so our daughter could start, at that time, fifth grade. Uh, so on my last visit to my mom in August, uh, I said goodbye to her and left for the airport. And, you know, she had such a pained expression on her face, you know, tears. And, but I brushed it off. I said, you know, I'll be back in a few weeks to see you. Well, about two weeks later, in early September, I got a call from my brother saying, you better get back home as soon as possible. Uh, so the next morning, I was uh, waiting in the lounge at LAX to board my flight, and when I got a second call from my brother telling me she had passed. Uh, so I, I never got to see her alive again. And I spent that flight back to Buffalo kind of in shock, you know, just replaying that last conversation I had uh, uh, with her uh, where she had tears and such sadness and I just kind of in an offhand way said, you know, don't worry, I'll see you soon. Um, in hindsight, it, it was clear that she knew uh, she wasn't gonna see me again. Uh, but I was so caught up in the urgency of my own life that it kind of just, you know, went over my head. I didn't catch it. And so for the next several months, I buried myself in work and I replayed in my head all the times that I treated her poorly or took her for granted or, you know, dismissed her advice or, or whatnot. And, and, and I got angry. I got, I got angry at myself for being, you know, the poor son. And I got angry at not having a chance to say sorry or goodbye. And I got angry at God for being the one in control, for letting it play out the way it did. You know, even worse, maybe it was his plan. Uh, well, it's been over 10 years since then. And honestly, it took a lot of those years to come to grips uh, with what happened. Um, but out of the many thoughts uh, that I've had over this time, I have just two to share with you. You know, I can, I can still clearly see her pained, tearful expression and her sort of desperate grunting. She was trying to talk with a ventilator in, you know, and uh, her hand grabbing me and holding mine and me kind of just pulling away to go catch a flight. There's no do-overs in life. Um, but if I got one, here's what I'd do. I'd stop and sit down and hold her hand and pray with her. I understand now that that's what I should have done. So that's my first thought for you. I, I should have held her hands and I should have prayed with her. And here's my second thought. More than 10 years later, I still make the mistake of not praying enough. You know, I'll do something else in some situation where, where what I should do first is stop and pray. And it's so easy to see after the fact, it's, it's, and it's so frustrating to realize. It's not the missed opportunity, though certainly it is that, and it's, 
It's not being self-conscious or unsure of what to say. Sometimes I'm aware of that too. If I'm being honest, it's, it's basically a lack of humility. I get caught up in figuring out what to do because that's what I do. I solve problems. Well, what can I do to solve this problem? It's a, it's a sort of a deep-rooted belief in my own abilities and a lack of faith in God. It's me not believing that God's love and power is always available and present. So I'm not sure if any of you can relate to this, that, you know, feeling like you don't pray enough for whatever reason, but I wanted to share one of the shortest and simplest and deepest prayers in the Bible. And uh, it comes in the story of Mark 9, from the father who brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. Uh, and we learn that this father first approached the disciples, but they couldn't help him. And um, so Jesus asked the father, how long has this been going on? Uh, and, and the father kind of just unloads this torrent of pent-up emotions and desperation. He's like, it's, it's been since childhood, and the boy's a danger to himself and to others, and he throws himself in the fire and in water and on and on and on. And you can imagine this father's at the end of his rope. It's, it's, it's been the whole life, and he, he's desperate. He's tried everything he could think of. He's asked all his friends. He's gone to experts, and, and nothing has, has helped. And, and he ends with, please, if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus sees this hopelessness and desperation. He sees that there's two problems here the father has. One is his son, but the other is the father's hopelessness. And so Jesus offers hope. He, he responds, if I am able, all things are possible for one who believes. It was like, seriously, you're asking me if I'm able, right? All things are possible for one who believes. And the father responds with this great prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So he didn't determine to set his mind better like I, like I would usually do. You know, this year I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm determined to get closer to God like it's some kind of New Year's resolution, right? No, he just humbly acknowledges that he cannot stop not believing. He says, I'm lost. I can't make myself better. I've tried. Only you can give me faith where I lack it. And so this prayer, I believe, help my unbelief, it really hits home. It's wise and true, and for me, it's restorative. The more I sit with it, the more I understand how much God loves me, and the more I believe. So that's what I have for you, a story about how little faith I have and how that shows itself in a tendency towards self-reliance and uh, utter inadequacy of my prayer life. Uh, and even though I know that about myself, I, I still fall short. And, and that anger I had over God is turned into some kind of understanding. It's, uh, it's my stumbling walk with God, what someone once called a long obedience in roughly <laughs> the right direction. <laughs> So, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen. Thank you, David. Uh, next, uh, we're going to have Tom come up and give his, uh, his testimony as well.
I just want to take a quick second and thank all of you guys for being willing to do this. It takes a lot to be vulnerable and, and, and share some of the deep moments of your life, and I'm grateful for each and every one. I know we all are. Thank you, Jesse and David, for making this probably more difficult than it was to begin with. But uh, <laughs> it is uh, not a shock that the devil exists and works on you daily. Since Pastor Matt asked us to share this today, I have been struggling with it. Uh, I've never felt so much struggle. And it's just, I did not want to do this. But I fought through it, and here I am. So a little bit of uh, my story started with being raised up in the Catholic faith. We didn't understand a lot of it, because a lot of it was ceremonial. And to be honest with you, when I was very young, it was done in Latin. So you didn't have a prayer to even understand it so we did go to church every day before school and on Sundays. It was just the things that we did as Catholics. And I would say in my youth I was devout. But as I got older, I drew farther away from it. It's not that I drew away from God as much as there was uh, no substance in it. There was really no education. Like I said, every Mass just seemed to be your Last Supper. That, that, that's basically what it felt like. So as I got older, I drifted a little farther apart. Sometimes you, you, you feel ashamed of the things that you do, but you just keep on doing them, especially when God's not there for you, or you would think that God wasn't there for you. So I would just continue on doing what I was doing. I, I just kept drifting farther away, having fun. And just do what you want, right? Because God's going to forgive you. He's your father. So let's just play around and, you know, hope we have enough time to ask for his forgiveness. So I would occasionally show up in church because it was the right thing to do. But if there was something better to do, football games or whatever, he'd understand, right? Just we'll see you next week. I guess that was a big uh, thing in my life. I'll see you next week. I'll just do that. And it, we'll just move on. We'll be good. So fast forward a few years. I have a failed marriage. Single dad with no passion for anything that I was doing, except for my kids, of course. One Sunday morning, I just felt drawn to get up and get to church. So I showed up at the 9 a.m. mass. And I just felt like I needed to talk to God. So I waited till the mass was completely over and the church emptied out, which that in itself was a miracle because we all left after communion. You just walked right out the door. You didn't even stick around for the last 10 minutes ever. So I waited till it was end, and, and, and I just, I could feel his presence. We was right there just saying, well, what do you have to say? So I hit my knees, and I just prayed to him to uh, bring me somebody who wants to grow and walk in faith with me. Make me stronger at this. I don't want to be apart from you anymore. So not too long after that, Kelly came into my life. She was sharing the same desire to grow in faith. So we started to date and attend church at the chapel. That was a shock. The chapel. You mean as a Catholic, I don't have to kneel and stand anymore? It was just incredible. We used to call them Catholic calisthenics when we were kids. That's 
So after that, we started attending the chapel, like I said, and it was just like every message spoke to me. I was learning things about Christ I'd never had explained that plainly before. There was a passion and there was love all around us. Then one day, Pastor Wes, Pastor Wes, they called him the Pied Piper of Souls over there at the chapel. He, uh, was, his message was a description of Christ's love, his faithfulness, and how God sent his only son from his throne. And this I never heard until this one time, to put skin on. We come live in the sinful earth to save us from the death of sin and to suffer unimaginable pain and death and humility at the hands of those very souls he was there to save. It was a stirring account, and it was just as if the Holy Spirit just shot right through me <laughs> because Kelly knew what was happening. I didn't. I was, she said I was all fidgety, and she knew something was going to happen, and I, up I jumped and went right up to with the rest of them. Then we walked to the back of the church, and my life's been different ever since. So that was the jumping-off point. And it almost led us, it actually did lead us right here at Hope. And being part of this church, it's been an amazing journey to be part of this community. So... Dr. David Jeremiah has a series out right now called God Loves You, He Always Has, and Always Will. And, and the series asks all the questions that you always get asked from somebody who doesn't really believe. And it's, does God love you even when you don't love him? Yes. Why can't I believe that God loves me? And why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the truth is in the title. God loves you and always will. He always will be right here next to you and me. And all he wants is a relationship with you. Go to your father. Talk to your father. The time that I spent not doing that, I kind of felt bad about. You know, I wasted all those precious moments that I could have spent in the word. But our life here is just a quick tick of the clock, and it doesn't even compare to the eternity we're going to spend with our father. Well, recently... I felt like the devil was grabbing a hold of me again and trying to plant seeds of doubt to the existence of God and his love, but his schemes failed. I did run to the Father. And at that moment, I felt the presence of his love and peace around me, and it was so peaceful and amazing. Our Holy Father has a way of letting you know he's there, and he loves you. And no matter what you think you may know about his love, he's going to do something amazing to even show you more and want you to have more with him so that let's pray heavenly father thank you for this opportunity to share my testimony of your love and peace with all of your faithful that are here today and those watching from home we pray that you continue to move in us and use us as your messengers to spread your word throughout experiences and knowledge of your word please send the holy spirit to help us and guide us in our daily walk and to glorify you in all we do in jesus name we pray funny there's uh, elements of each of those stories that that I know I can identify with and I'm sure I'm not alone there uh, I'm starting to wonder if maybe Jesse and I were separated at birth our uh, our, uh, our stories of grace uh, have a, a lot of similarities I was uh, I was raised in a Christian home as well and um, 
uh, came to Christ at a very young age. I remember um, being around, I think it was around six years old, and in my old townhouse uh, that uh, my parents and I lived with, uh, lived in in Delaware. And just kind of stopping what I was doing, looking up and saying, I'm not sure if I did this yet or not, but I believe in you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was just that very simple childlike expression of belief and putting my faith and trust in Christ. And I was blessed to have been raised in a home where that was taught and where um, my, uh, my mom and dad both knew Christ and made it a priority uh, to expose me to God's word and to sound teaching and uh, to go to church and have fellowship with other believers. And I'm, I'm beyond grateful for that. Um, I was able to grow in faith under that teaching, under, um, you know, the pastors that we listened to. And my dad, as he grew in his faith, uh, he became more and more involved in the churches that we went to and often would teach Sunday school and things like that. So I learned a lot from him, especially. And, um, you know, God's word says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, that said, oh, I got loud. That said, I too grew up and got to college and started to realize, oh, I can have a lot of fun. So I kind of come out of my shell a little bit and cut loose. Now, um, you know, my, uh, my redemption story might not be quite as dramatic as, uh, as others, but I remember that, um, that there, was, there was a time during those years that my heart was far from where it should have been. I never denied God's existence or the truth of his word, but for way too long, I just didn't care. And fleeting, unimportant things became more of a priority for me. But God wasn't done with me yet. He never gave up on me. Um, I remember uh, I, I had joined a, um, a Christian a cappella group that was on campus. And we had a little secret Santa kind of gift exchange during the year. And the gift that I received was the album Pages by Shane and Shane. And um, if, uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go check it out. It's a fantastic album. But I was listening to that, I had popped it into my CD player, and I was driving on the highway, and during the first song, it's called Vision of You. I had to pull over to the side of the road because I was just weeping and I couldn't see what I was doing anymore and I was going to end up in a car accident if I didn't. And it was God basically just saying, no, stop. Take a minute. You belong to me. Not this world. Not the 
empty pleasures that it offers. You're mine. You're my child. And I thank God for that because it's nothing that I could have done. Salvation isn't something that we can earn. It's not something that we can achieve. It's something that is the result of God's work, him drawing us to him. And that's exactly what he did. And I wish I could tell you that I've been perfect and sinless and a saint ever since that moment. God in his infinite grace and his love and his mercy. He truly does change everything. I'm sure you all know the story of the prodigal son. And this verse in it rings out. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Luke chapter 15 verse 24. I was overwhelmed with Jesus' presence that night, and he drew me back to him in a powerful way. I could no longer deny that I had been doing things the wrong way and things needed to change. I became obsessed with his word. I was renewed with a thirst for the Bible, for scripture. And as I poured into it more and more, Jesus drew my heart more and more to ministry. And so I started to pursue that and became more and more involved with, in particular, youth ministry and worship ministry. I, um, I had... Uh, visited this, uh, this church that my old band had played at a few times in Baltimore. And it turned out they needed a, uh, they needed a, a worship leader and a youth pastor. So I began uh, volunteering there for a while. And through that experience, I, I learned so much. God taught me so much through that. Primarily about faith, about being able to trust in him. Because in certain ways I was borderline homeless. <laughs> I was often couch hopping and uh, crashing at friends' houses and other people in the congregation um, while I was kind of getting on my feet there. And I saw over and over and over again the provision of God, the way he takes care of his children. And it's made it easy in a sense, to come to a place where you can say, I don't know how you're going to deal with this, but I know you're going to. So I'm not going to worry about it. But sometimes, sometimes that faith is hard to find. Um, sometimes you're still going to go through things that are going to test that faith. It's important to hold fast for the hope that Christ offers, to know that he does love and take care of his children. Like I said, I, uh, I wish I could tell you that, uh, that I've been a perfect saint from that day forward and lived every second for Christ, only ever speaking the truth in love. 
In my gratitude to him, I'm aiming to live that way. I think it was what Tom said, you know, is that general, or maybe it was David, <laughs> you know, attempting to head in the right general direction. And that's what we can do in our gratitude for what Christ has done for us. To seek him out. To pour into his word. To attempt to be obedient to him in those small things. Um, I'm reminded often of that parable of uh, the different servants and the talents that they were given. And how how one took that small amount that he was given and just buried it, fearing that he was going to mess up and lose it. Whereas the other two obeyed, did what they were instructed to do, and saw a great return. And now I'm blanking with where I was going with that. <laughs> It's important to be obedient in the little things. Because in those small things, in following those simple instructions, that's where the greater things are revealed. Like David had said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to be faithful to you in those little things. Because you've been so faithful to me in the most important things. Sanctification is not just an event of salvation. It's a process. It's something that takes time. So if I can encourage you this morning with one thing, it's like God's not done with you yet. If your life is going great and you have no reason to do anything but praise his name, hallelujah, God's not done with you yet. If you're going through struggle, if you're going through heartache, if you're going through trial and difficulty, take heart. God's not done with you yet. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, this is not something we can earn. You can't earn your salvation. You can't keep it through work. But in gratitude, this is how we respond, to pursue him and to work out that salvation in fear and trembling, to know that he's in control, to have faith and to follow him, even when it's difficult. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't miss this chance to find hope and peace, to find love and truth, to find salvation in him today, to start that process of sanctification, to start that 
and trust in the only one who can save your soul, who can bring you peace, who can change everything. And if you're here today and you do know him, but maybe you're like I was, and you're finding, out, finding it hard to care, know this. Once again, God is not done with you yet. Turn to him and run to him and know that he will welcome you with open arms. I'm going to leave us with this from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You belong to him. You belong to him. He's not letting go. Hallelujah. Let's, um, let's stand together. As the band comes forward, we'll, uh, we'll close in worship. And, uh, and we'll pray together as we do. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each of these men who've uh, come before me to share their stories of faith, to share their testimonies, to share the good things that you've done in their lives, to share the hardships and trials that they've faced. Lord, let us all be encouraged that there is no depth that your grace cannot reach. Let us be encouraged that even when we doubt, even when we struggle, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are in control. Remind us, Lord, to go to you and run to you in prayer over everything that, for which we can give thanks as well as for everything for which we have need. Lord, help us to rest in your peace at your feet, in your love, and in your grace, Lord. Jesus, it's in your precious name that we pray.